1: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch brought to you today again by Gabby. We have good, bad and crazy martinis for conservatives today. None of them formally having to do with the start of today's impeachment trial of former President Trump or 45th president of the United States. That's how his uh, people are referring to him now. Uh, Jim, it's not an official martini. We just had a motion to dismiss several days ago that attracted 45 Republican votes, which is way more than they need to acquit. So again, this seems highly anticlimactic, Uh, maybe a little more drama than the last one, given the circumstances. But uh, uh, I'm not expecting a huge shift in the likely outcome of this vote. How are you looking at this?
0: Yeah, so there, there will be plenty of coverage of the impeachment trial uh, over on National Review later today. But as I acknowledge in today's morning jolt, like, we kind of know how this ends. We don't know how the Biden administration's pandemic relief bill is going to shake out. We don't know on any given day, there's a whole bunch of things happening in the news that we don't know the outcome of. Uh, the jolt has been relentlessly focused on the vaccine rollout because it strikes me as a really big deal. This doesn't mean impeachment doesn't matter, but it also notes that like, this is kind of feels like an afterthought considering everything that's going on, but we will see. Nonetheless, I expect it to still be a big deal in the news
1: over the next two weeks. Well, it gives the mainstream media a chance to go wall-to-wall Trump again. So, of course, they're <laughs> they're going to go and uh, take full advantage of that. But, uh, Jim, one of the things that will happen, of course, during an impeachment trial in the Senate is that other business comes to a halt. And some of that business has been going up right until the start of this trial. And that includes the confirmation process. And we've had many different thoughts about some of the Biden nominees, some who are basically checking a identity politics box and aren't really qualified, <clears throat> Pete Buttigieg. And uh, you also have others where you're like, yeah, okay, that could have been worse. And then you have others that just make you cringe and you hope there's some way that they can be shot down. Javier Becerra at HHS is one, and another one would be Neera Tandon, who is the president's nominee to be director of the Office of Management and Budget, better known as Budget Director. Neera Tannen is a pretty nasty person, has been on social media. Uh, Also, it's being uh, pointed out once again by a lot of folks this morning uh, that she defended a friend who was accused of sexual harassment at the Center for American Progress, left-leaning think tank, by publicly outing the accuser. Always a nice touch. Uh, So, Jim, Rob Portman, former budget director himself during the George W. Bush years, uh, brought up the many nasty things that. Tannen has said about the very senators who will be voting on her nomination at some point and here's a little bit of what he reported that she wrote
0: just to mention a few of the thousands of negative public statements you wrote that susan collins is quote the worst that tom cotton is a fraud that vampires have more heart than ted cruz uh you called leader mcconnell moscow mitch and voldemort Um, and on and on. I I wonder specifically, how do you plan to mend fences and build relationships with members of Congress you have attacked
1: through your public statements?
0: Senator, uh, I very much appreciate that question. I recognize the concern. I deeply regret and apologize for my language and some of my past language. Um, I recognize that this role is a bipartisan role. And I know I have to earn the trust of senators across the board.
1: And he said he had nine other pages of nasty things she had said about Ted Cruz, for example. So, uh, first of all, Rob Portman's been in that job. Secondly, he is not a bomb-throwing senator, so I think it comes with more credibility when he says it. She, of course, uh, has this, oh, I'm so sorry if I offended anyone response to this, which, of course, you and I couldn't possibly believe. So uh, good on Rob Portman. But does this actually change much with the near Tanden nomination? Senator Cruz, when I said you were worse than vampires, I meant it as a compliment.
0: All right. So, look, I, first of all, I saw a bunch of people saying, oh, sure. Now Republicans complain about nasty tweets. All right, fine. Let, let's decide what we want the standard to be. If we decided that nasty tweets are not a reason to not have someone in a position of government, that we don't have that standard as of behavior, uh, that all of whatever happens on Twitter, it's, it's like what happens in Vegas, it, ha- it stays on Twitter, doesn't matter, fine. But that's the rule from here on out and you can't fire someone for why they tweet, okay? No more cancel culture. No more inability to say, no, you can no longer continue in that job because you uh, wrote nasty things on Twitter. If that's the, I want one clear standard rule, not this idea that applies to our side and not on that side. Now here's the other thing. It's also, in this life, you have a choice as to how you behave and how you treat people. Neera Tandon chose to vent her spleen and write, you know, uh, nasty things about Susan Collins because you know how terrible she is, you know, how how offensive and obnoxious she is. Uh, Moscow Mitch, Um, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And that's fine. You can do that, but you can't turn around and then expect those same senators to confirm you for an administration post. You got to choose one or the other. So I I suspect this will be a largely party line vote. The interesting question will be whether Joe Manchin or somebody else on the Democratic side looks at this and says, "Eh, I don't know if I like this person. Apparently Bernie Sanders and your attendant have a a beef going back many years. So it'll be interesting to see if that spurs spurs him to... uh, vote no on her. This was the you know, there was a point where Tandon looked like the uh the absolute worst choice that Joe Biden had made. And then we got more choice, more selections, Greg.
1: <laughs> yeah, this list for the most part has been very underwhelming, uh pretty much conventional people uh, in in a lot of the big roles and uh, a lot of identity politics box checking in in other ways that we have certainly chronicled for a number of nominations. Near Tandon is a longtime Hillary loyalist. That might be one of the reasons Bernie doesn't like her, among uh, many other things. But hopefully, uh, we can find out that uh, there's at least one Democrat or uh, or more that could help sink that nomination. And, Taking down Becerra would be good too. Jim, uh, now that Anthony Kennedy is retired and the Supreme Court doesn't seem to necessarily have a swing vote at the moment, although John Roberts would be the closest, uh, can Anthony Kennedy come over to Capitol Hill and just convey that mantle on Joe Manchin where we have to see what he thinks when he gets out of bed in the morning?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know you know that old saying of, you know, when, when, people, uh, when the stock market responds to things that happen in Washington, we hear the the truism that the markets markets hate uncertainty. Yes, Greg, it's not just the markets. The rest of us aren't huge fans of uncertainty either. No, no
1: certainly not. So uh, everybody's being nice to Joe Manchin. At least that should be the plan. Uh, the Biden administration deciding to go in a media campaign against his position in West Virginia certainly wasn't the smartest thing. But uh, you know what is smart? Saving money on car insurance. You can save up to nine hundred sixty-one dollars a year. On car and home insurance if you are able to compare your existing policy with the rates that other companies can show you for the exact same coverage. $961. That's how much Gabby customers save every year on average on car and home insurance. So when you're shopping for insurance, you need to use Gabby. You know, this is the time of year where a
0: lot of folks go shopping for insurance and Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance. By giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance companies we're talking about companies like progressive and nationwide and travelers you just link your current insurance account and in just minutes you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have now like greg mentioned earlier gabby customers save 961 dollars per year on average i bet that'd be nice to have in your pocket every year And if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so that you can relax knowing you have the best rate out there. And they will never
1: sell your information, so you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls. And that last point is really important, too, because you do fill in about, I think, 10 different prompts, give or or take a couple. And some of that information is pretty personal, your date of birth, your your address. But uh, it's very quick. It's all stuff you know. Then you link to your current insurance policy. And you see within a couple of minutes, am I getting a good deal? Am I not getting a good deal? And then you can make your decision accordingly. But knowing that by entering that information, it's protected is also very helpful to know and uh, gives you a lot of peace of mind too. But the bottom line is you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. It's just a fact. And Gabby can save you a lot of money. So see how much they can save you. Totally free to check. No obligation. Go to Gabby.com martini. That's G-A-B-I.com martini. Gabby.com slash Martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about the Chinese and the World Health Organization here. Certainly an area that you have studied extensively, really over the past year now. Uh, And you'll be shocked to know, uh, as the New York Post and others reporting here, that uh, the World Health Organization has decided that there was nothing done wrong at the Chinese lab, nothing uh, leaked, nothing nefarious happening Here's what the post says. The coronavirus is unlikely to have leaked from a Chinese lab and is more likely to have jumped to humans from an animal. A World Health Organization team has concluded. And an expert said this on Tuesday as the group wrapped up a visit to explore the origins of the virus. And they talk about all the extensive work that they supposedly did. But thanks also to Hot Air for reminding us about this Associated Press story at the end of December. More than a year since the first known person was infected with the coronavirus, an AP investigation shows the Chinese government is strictly controlling all research into its origins, clamping down on some while actively promoting fringe theories that it could have come from outside China. So, Jim, uh, once again, it appears the uh, World Health Organization took the guided tour provided by the Chinese Communist Party and shockingly, came to the same conclusions as the Communist Chinese Party.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, uh, this is not going to do much to dispel the skepticism of the account of the Chinese government. Now, let's begin. Could this virus have jumped jumped to humans from an intermediary host species like pangolins? Sure, it could have. But the kind of problem with that theory is that we haven't found this precise virus, SARS-CoV-2, in any pangolins yet. And actually, we haven't even found it in any bats either. Um, we have found, oh, oh, by the way, we also, there's never been any proof that pangolins or bats were for sale at the Hunan seafood market in the middle of Wuhan. Now, you know, this is, a, these are, you know, something involved, animal smuggling is sort of a black market sort of thing. Is it possible they were being sold? Yeah, but you figure there's been a pretty extensive effort to try to find, you know, uh, whether there was anybody selling bats or pangolins. So far, nobody's generated any evidence. Um, To the extent we can trust Chinese health authorities back in May, the director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control, said that they tested samples from the Wuhan food market, not a single sample found any link between animals and the pathogen. Now, is it possible that that particular bat or pangolin or some other animal was consumed and none of the other ones there did and that's why they didn't find it? Sure, that that could be the case. Um, it's a remarkable set of circumstances, but it could happen. Now, the next thing you kind of is kind of baffling about this is that you, again, there's no evidence that this is necessarily a deliberately created bioweapon, Arguments about gen- genetic engineering get into get muddled down into created in a lab versus escape from a lab. Through a process of uh, kind of you know, enhancing natural selection, you can strengthen a virus. Basically, you, you take your sample, you apply something that's gonna kill about 90% of it. The 10% that survives is the hardiest. You take that 10%, grow a bigger sample, reapply it again, You know different different substances designed to kill off the virus. The 10% that survives is gonna be the strongest and the hardiest. And that is how you kind of accelerate the evolution of a virus. Uh, we don't know for certain that that's what occurred in this case, but this has been done. Uh, gain of function research is what it's called. A bunch of scientists think this is a really uh, unwise form of experimentation that you're very likely to end up inadvertently creating some superbug. Um, other ones say, no, no, no if you ever want to stop the next SARS or MERS or Zika or something like that, this kind of research is necessary. But anyway, the, the current theory from WHO, because they've now just decided it's not a lab release, is that this SARS-CoV-2, it was in a bat. It went to some other animal like a pangolin. It cultivated in the pangolin, jumped to a human, left no trace of any other animals. And all of this occurred a short distance from not one, but two laboratories that were researching coronaviruses and bats. And yet this natural occurrence had absolutely no connection to either of those labs whatsoever. And what's fascinating, the single most, we, we have yet to find SARS-CoV-2 in the wild, in nature, in any animal. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, just means we haven't found it yet. Now, the closest thing we have found was in horseshoe bats in a place in China called Mojang, Yunnan. Short version is Wuhan's up a kind of north central part. This is in the southwestern part. It's 967 miles between Wuhan and the Yunnan, China. Okay? So it's not like these bats could have naturally uh, you know, migrated to it. Um, it's not a part of the natural area to it. Could it have been caught somewhere in the southwest of the country and moved almost a thousand miles to be sold in a wet market? Sure, it could happen. It's not necessarily the most likely scenario, but fine. But here's the really wild thing. Back in 2012, uh, this, there, was a K, uh, no, K, there was a mine shaft in Yunnan, China, and six guys got sick while they were cleaning out uh, bat guano from there because they were using it as fertilizer. Right? Three of the six miners died okay it was a severe pneumonia like illness that they compared to the original SARS okay now this samples of the blood from these guys this is according to a uh, extensive research paper about the link up at the corner the samples of the blood from these guys with the closest thing we have found in nature to SARS cov2 was sent in 2012 to the Wuhan Institute of Virology now is this a smoking gun no you know the Wuhan Institute of Virology does a lot of research on a whole bunch of viruses but we do now know that the closest thing to this virus in nature was sent to the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology about uh, eight years before the outbreak, I guess seven years if you count it as 2019. And oh, by the way, this is the same institution where U.S. uh, officials visited it in 2018 and said there was a shortage of highly trained technicians and investigators required to safely operate a biosafety level laboratory. Now, Does this mean we can say with certainty that this was an outbreak? No, but the World Health Organization version of events requires a whole bunch of amazing coincidences. And from where I sit, Occam's razor points to a lab accident being the most likely one. And I have felt this way since the beginning, that if you're going to have an unusual outbreak of a novel coronavirus that originated in bats, the first place you'd look would be the two laboratories doing research on coronaviruses and bats. But what do I know,
1: Greg? (laughs) Yeah, can't imagine why that could be a plausible theory. Uh, So, I mean, the Biden administration is just going right back uh, into membership with the WHO. No surprise. They're going to be a dutiful, dues-paying member, probably footing uh, a good share of the bill. This is no surprise, but what should Biden be doing here? First of all,
0: I'm curious about how much he gets briefed of this. The really good New York Magazine cover story. Talked about how, how quickly this potential sequence of events got politicized, became partisan. Um, early on in this process, there were a lot of people who did not want to fan the flames of this theory, so to speak, because Donald Trump was touting it. And, you know, they, they basically, the more this was China's fault, the less this was Donald Trump's fault. The more this was Donald Trump's fault, the less this could be China's fault. I have no problem with criticizing both the president and Chinese government. I think it's pretty pretty safe to say once the the virus was out of the borders of China, there was very little that any other country was going to be able to do to to prevent this pandemic from spreading out the way that it did. But anyway, like, so it becomes this, from the very beginning, I've had this nagging sense that people were afraid to contemplate this scenario because if it was the case, you'd have, I mean, this has already killed 2 million people, wait, 2.3 million deaths around the world right now. If you could prove that this was the result of recklessness or negligence on the part of the Chinese government, you'd have people all around the world furious, livid with the Chinese government and they'd hate the Chinese government like, like few other countries and few other governments have ever been hated in the modern era. The likelihood of a conflict between China and one or more countries feels pretty darn likely in that scenario. So I can understand people who were hesitant to put much fuel to, this, uh, to, to, to explore this because the consequences are really, really dire but the truth is the truth. And it doesn't do anybody good to kind of close your eyes from it. I have no idea um, what is going on in the conversations of the Biden administration. Joe Biden has never been a one who's been terribly big on confronting China. He has always been a cheerleader for greater trade with it. He's always been this argument that we can be partners in prosperity, et cetera, et cetera. I I was like, I'd like to believe that Joe Biden would look at this uh, this evidence with clear eyes and consider it and contemplate the, you know, pretty darn awful implications of this, but I don't have any guarantees. And I just don't know um, whether all the people in the the US government, in corporate America, in, in our cultural elites, there's a really good article by Lee Smith on this. Look, we've, for the last 20 to 30 years, the leaders of America have built the future on a close partnership with China. Now you find out they did something that killed people all around the world. Like, you, you can't, you know, people don't even know where to begin in terms of separating that. So I my fear is um, that the the Biden administration will never look at this that seriously because the implications of it would have to completely undo their entire foreign policy vision for the past 20 years.
1: Well, they're not going to call it the China virus anymore. That's banned. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, yeah, that a- takes care of it, you know.
0: Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is, so tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave Leave a comment, a review, and subscribe.
1: All right, well, let's talk about some more good news, and that's 4Patriots, where you can find them at 4 slash martini and find all the great deals, including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. As we always say with 4Patriots, you need to be prepared because you just don't know when the power is going to go out. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is worth its weight in gold because it has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run all the big appliances like your fridge, your freezer, and medical devices. comes with 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Never needs gas, thanks to that solar panel. Fume-free, silent, and safe. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4patriots.com martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X, with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, let's move on to our final martini, Jim, our crazy one. And of course, we talked about the Super Bowl yesterday. Buccaneers win. Not a great game. Uh, Should point out that the Bears did defeat the world champions. Um, But the big issue today in Tampa is finding out who didn't wear their mask. Tampa Mayor Jane Castor, uh, who was also photographed at the game not wearing a mask, uh, has decided that those who didn't will be found out. Here's how she said it. We had tens of thousands of people all over the city, downtown, out by the stadium, Ybor City, uh, down here in Channelside, and very, very few incidents. So I'm proud of our community, but uh, those few bad actors Uh, will be identified, and the Tampa Police Department will handle it. So, Jim, uh, I mean, it's good to go over video when there's a violent crime. Obviously, the authorities have combed over all the footage from January 6th at the Capitol, uh, but the idea of a Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Deputy Gerard moment of a hard target search for uh, the guy who didn't wear his mask at the outdoor bar in Tampa several days ago uh, seems more than a little of a massive overreaction.
0: Yeah. You know, was it Angelo Codvila? There was somebody who made a very, not even been Pat Buchanan, years and years ago, basically said that like the government, you can see the character of a government in which laws it chooses to enforce and which laws it chooses to ignore. Right? We've all probably, many of us have lived in one place or another that was like a real stickler. Um, Speeding enforcement, down in South Carolina, near my parents, there's one community where you don't speed. You go 36 in a 35 zone, they'll write you up because they wanna get the, the revenue from the tickets. Um, parking enforcement in certain cities is off the charts. You know, If your, your meter expires by one minute, they will write up that ticket and they will put it right there. Um, and then you have the crimes that don't get enforced. we all talked about the extraordinarily low rate of closing murders in Chicago, right? You know, obviously some crimes are harder to solve than others. But it's an interesting question. What, you know, what what laws does society choose to prioritize? You have the sneaking suspicion that for people in government, what really makes them, motivates them, and what the the crimes, and I'm making air quotes as I say that, because I'm not sure, you know, I think not wearing a mask is a bad idea. I think it's unwise. I think you should wear a mask. I think you should be considerate of others. I get really nervous when I get the idea of criminal charges or the idea of wanting to, uh, as you said, you know, police manhunts and responding to this, like, I don't know, Kamala Harris on a truant student for something like that. Um, That kind of level of response to somebody not wearing a mask. I think we got higher priorities. I think we have bigger deals um, to worry about. Kevin Williamson has written extensively about the uh, murder rate in Chicago. And he made the observation that like prosecutors really love to go after gun stores. You know why, Greg? They have a permanent address. It's kind of hard for them to run away. It's kind of hard for them to hide. They're always there, right? Now, gang members, they can run. They can hide. They can shoot back, right? That's hard police work. That's difficult getting indictments, getting on. That's against you know police. You know there are not all, but there are plenty of police agencies and prosecutors who prefer going after the easy cases. I don't know if those people who are going to be targeted in Tampa, I don't know if they're actually going to face any serious consequences. But if they do, and I don't know if any of them are lawyers, chances are they're just a bunch of sports fans. But here's the: they're sure as heck probably easier than say hunting down a drug dealer or a gang member, or a violent criminal of some kind. And you can't help but get the feeling that certain people in, the poli- in, in government prefer to go after certain targets who are more of a, uh, of a different partisan view or a different political view, or who just irk them more. I nearly use different words there. Uh, just tick them off more than, say, the criminals and the people, the violent criminals and the people who the general public would greatly prefer to be uh, uh, the top priority of law enforcement. I, again, I don't think guys wearing not wearing masks at the Super Bowl are the top priority uh, of most residents of Tampa. But uh, I don't know, has anybody bothered to ask them what they want? In terms, you know, Which crimes are you worried about? You know, guys not wearing masks or, you know, murderers?
1: Well, CNN had got a lot of traffic on one of their stories. Uh, one of their reporters, Randy Kay, was, was double masked at a bar because the people at the outdoor bar weren't wearing masks. And you had to wonder, Who's the crazy person here? Because nobody else seemed to be all that concerned. And, you know, obviously, uh, coronavirus is real. Uh, People have suffered with it. I think we all know people who have suffered with it. Uh, But I I think it all goes back to Florida has to be the failure in the eyes of the mainstream media. New York, regardless of the numbers, has to be the success story because of the blue versus red and because those governors uh, would seem to be key political players going forward. And it's pretty obvious in the coverage.
0: I completely agree that this is a, you know, almost every day I'm looking at the statistics for vaccine use, vaccine rates, um, infections, uh, the whole nine yards. And there is no simple blue states are doing okay. Red states are doing badly narrative to this. One of the, you know, I believe the state that's currently bottom in terms of vaccination rates is Alabama and shame on you, Alabama. But I think Rhode Island is like third or fourth from the bottom. Uh, you know, that you can find states in the upper mid- upper Midwest, you can find states on the West Coast. You know, it's not simple. You know, it's not like there's a, oh, once you have a D or an R after your name, you're automatically going to have a better state government that ends up doing a better job at this. And so the, the fact that so many people seem so hell bent on, on locking the data into this mentality they have, into this pre-existing narrative, you just kind of wonder like how we're supposed to function as a government if so many people are that addicted to the narrative instead of what's what they actually can see in front
1: of their own eyes. Well, that's why we're all grateful for your <laughs> diligent research into what's really going on on all the different levels of this, from how it started to uh, the response here and vaccines and everything else. So, Jim, good to be with you as always. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Gabby, especially if you want to save some money on your insurance, gabby.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Very grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast Join us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great day and join us again Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
0: Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Jumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumbacasino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere,